It's not that it gets easier. It's that you just learn how to live with it. That's how we love them well. That's how we keep loving them well. So I knew something was wrong. You know, one of those young men did something to my son. Just to make sure that we were on the same page, TJ was swept in this fast-paced stream that unexpectedly happened in this tunnel. Is it illegal to not question people whenever, like, a death happens? I'm not gonna say it's not, like, illegal. I will say it's very, like, shady. And it was alarming, to say the least. My eyes had definitely been opened even wider than they were the last time we spoke. At this point, it shocks me that no arrests have been made. This is what she said. But I believe something happened. Newsflash, no one would willingly burn a cigarette on their forehead to leave a mark. He was so funny. Loving, caring, a big uh, class clown in school. Always got into trouble for making people laugh. He wasn't a violent person. I want you to imagine that you were in bed sleeping when you hear a knock at your front door. Barely awake, you shake the sound off to be solely from your imagination until you hear it again followed by a deep voice. It is the Ramsey County Police Department. You get up, go to the front door, and are told these words, I am sorry to inform you, but your son is dead. In this moment, you swear time stops and are immediately filled with questions. The time is 3.30 in the morning and it is not until almost 8 Eight hours later, your son's body is retrieved. No arrests are made, and despite your gut feeling, you were told it was all one big accident. Fast forward a few months later, and the case is now closed, and the four men that you believe are responsible for your son's death are still free to this day. This is the disturbing reality for Shira Davis regarding her son, TJ Davis's case. Before we begin, I want you to turn your attention to my TV. Thank you for tuning in to Crime Brought to Light. Before we begin, I want to clarify that everything I talk about today is solely my opinion based on the research I've conducted and is 100% alleged. The purpose of Crime Brought to Light is to not only talk about true crime cases that interest me, but to also unsilence those who have been silenced by the media. If you or someone you know has a case that has been swept under the rug, email me at crimebroughttolight at gmail.com. And if you're a viewer and want to support me each time I have a sponsorship, please check them out as it helps me. Go ahead and start your cleaning or secure yourself under a soft blanket because we are about to dive headfirst into some pretty dark stuff. To start off this video, I know that people who will be watching this have experienced grief or the loss of someone that you love dearly, and I also know that there are some people watching who have been fortunate enough to not experience true grief. Before Shira shares her story, I really wanted to touch base on what it's like to truly grieve someone on top of living in a fast-paced world. What Shira is going through is quite literally hell on earth, and I could share my personal story, but I have shared it multiple times in the past on different episodes, and I thought it would be a good idea to interview my friend Emily who lost her father unexpectedly almost four years ago. When listening to her speak, I want to encourage you to open your heart and hear what she has to say in hopes of fully understanding what it's like to grieve. This is her story. In January of 2020, I was woken up to a text from my sister and she basically was, well I had several missed calls but I woke up really really early that morning and I saw a text that said, 
they're rushing dad to the ER. Um, he's just having chest pain. Um, and so I woke what my husband up and I was like, okay, we need to go. I was at this point, I was seven months pregnant. So we drove and met them at the hospital. Kind of like, I'm just a super optimistic person. So I guess for me, I was just like, it's gonna be fine. Like he's having chest pain, they're taking him to the ER. We do that to people all the time, not a big deal, you know? Um, and then on the way there, she called me and she had beat me there. And so basically she did let us know he had a heart attack as soon as he got there um, and he coded on the table. Um, and so by the time we had gotten there, they had just finished doing CPR and they revived him. And that was super, super early in the morning. I think we got there. We drove like an hour and a half and I think we got there like seven in the morning. It was very random because literally three days prior, my dad was like playing basketball with a group of guys. I saw him four days prior. He came to our church that Sunday. He was just your average, like what we thought, like healthy dad. He was 49 years old. We were at the hospital all day and they basically let us know like it's gonna be a long drive journey of him healing and all of this stuff they're gonna go in and they were gonna put a stint in and like do all this surgery which we were totally fine with and after about I think it was 11 hours at the hospital they told us they were gonna have to transfer him from the current hospital that he was at to the newer hospital that like more focuses on like heart issues when we got there they immediately called us back to the room and basically he coded again in the ambulance and they never could revive him. They did CPR for like, I think an hour. I know like it sounds really crazy because like I've heard, like I grew up hearing people say like they lost their dad and like I felt that pain for them, but you kind of feel like it's so far removed because like you think, well like man, that is like really tough. But like when you become an adult, you're like not as close to your parents. So like that's what you think. You're not as close to your parents. You like have a spouse or you have kids and like you kind of just see your parents like distantly. Like that wasn't the case. And I'm sure it's not the case for most people. That's just like what I thought happened because I'd never experienced that before. We were all extremely close to my dad. I talked to him very regularly. He was like, if I needed advice on anything, he was the person that I called. It was very abrupt. I feel like there's something so like, like really painful about something that's so abrupt and like so like just out of nowhere, it really, it literally feels like the rug is fully like pulled out from underneath you. And it's, it's like, I, to me, and I could totally be wrong. To me, it just feels like it's hard to get like back up on your feet because you were so blinded by the whole thing. How could you describe the term grief? I think over the last four years, my definition of grief, I feel like has changed because in the beginning, grief is just like constant crying constant you feel it 24 7 all day long there's there's no way to like go around thinking about it and then as time goes on it's not that it gets easier it's that you just learn how to live with it coming up in january um the 23rd of 2024 will be four years and so it's coming up like on that time those are the days that like really really hits where like sometimes i cry like that whole entire day it could be a random day in july I realize that funny thing I saw on TV that he would think was hilarious. Like, I can't send him. Um, and so that, it comes out of nowhere. And so like that definition of grief to me is so different because it's not, I just sit and grieve all day, all the time. It sometimes will hit you out of nowhere. And something that I fully believe is that grief is not something that you get over. Grief, grief does not have a timeline. You don't grieve for this long and then you stop grieving. Like I will grieve my dad until the day I die, but I will grieve differently over the course of my life. And I feel like as everybody grieves, their definition of grief will change. Grief is, it really is just the pain of losing someone that you love. But like the truth is, is that 
it is a joy to have loved someone like that. And like I have people in my life who don't have relationships with their dad. And so I can't even imagine that kind of grief because I was so close to mine. So I know that grief looks different for everyone. If they were to lose their dad and not having a relationship, that grief would look super different to mine or someone else who lost someone the way that I did or that unexpected grief. I think the definition of grief is dependent upon situation, but I also think that it's a beautiful thing to grieve. I think that it tells a story of I will forever love this person. I will forever miss this person. Um, and I can't put an expiration date on that. And I'm I am glad that I ha- I am built and wired to grieve until I die. Yeah. And I think that's a beautiful thing. How has experiencing grief changed you as a person for the good or for the worse? I definitely like for the worse. I'm working through this in therapy. <laughs> um, I struggle to believe that like good things will just it, they'll always happen like I struggle to not like have that thing in the back of mind that like my husband couldn't end up in a car wreck or like I couldn't lose one of my kids all those things like consume me because like it was so abrupt it was so out of nowhere that shouldn't have happened to my 49 year old dad but it did and so I think for the worse a little bit of my positivity and op- positivity and optimism is definitely been like shrunken because now I'm like, well, if that can happen, then what else could happen, you know? I struggled with that for a really long time and still do, like with my faith. Um, I wonder why God didn't heal my dad. Like we were in the hospital all day praying. I had, there were countless amount of pastors in the room, faith-filled people, and I just thought he would be healed. Like, you know, that's what we, that's how we, like when we pray, that's what's supposed to happen. This is on the good side of things. It definitely made me question some of the things that I learned about church and some of the things I learned about Jesus um, because we, I thought it was just un, subconsciously, I thought you waved your magic wand and you prayed that precious little prayer and everything just magically happened the way that it was supposed to. I hate the term, but I mean, I did kind of deconstruct some of that like way of thinking about God. Um, and I do, I do think that's a plus. I do think that that is something good that I took from it because now I see God very differently. On the plus side, I have way more empathy. I can grieve with people better when they lose someone because I'd never lost someone that close to me. So I could never relate to people when they were grieving. I could just I was that person I was like, I'll pray for you. Like, I'm so sorry. But losing someone in that way. And then two months later, COVID hit and people started dying because of COVID. I had a friend of mine whose dad died because of COVID a few months after mine did. Um, and I wept for her. Um, I still to this day reach out to her constantly and she reaches out to me and we stay connected i wouldn't change the fact that like now i had i can weep with other people the way that like really the way that jesus calls us to the way that i couldn't before because i could never feel that kind of pain for someone else because i don't know what it's like to lose someone like that i count that as a blessing through all of this the other thing is that i definitely uh i feel like i i cherish the people that are in my life more do you have any advice or wise words for someone that is experiencing grief i definitely especially for tj's mom i definitely would say like don't stop asking the questions even like for me I can remember the the doctor telling me and my initial reaction, I needed to have the answer. I needed to have answers. 
Um, I couldn't get answers for why I had a heart attack. I just kind of had to sum it up with, like, he ate really bad food. <laughs> like, I mean, I just had to, like, I had to ask the doctors questions. How did this happen? Why is he, like, why could you guys not get him back? Did you do everything you could? What did you do? I don't think there's anything wrong with asking all the questions. As hard as it is to know, like, I may not get answers. And, like, there are still things... I do not understand. Like, even for me, like asking God, like, I may never know the answer to that. I know my dad wouldn't want me to just sit around and be miserable and just constantly sit and just question everything all of the time. It's easy for me to think, well, if I had known that he had been sick or if I'd known that he most likely had had small chest pain prior to this because you don't have a 100% blockage in your heart, <laughs> and like out of nowhere. Why didn't I ask him if he was feeling okay? Why didn't we do this? And I think at the end of the day, you can run yourself into like a hole of just why, 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 why? But I think for people who have situations that are unjust, I think you ask the questions. I don't think you, you don't give up, you fight. Um, you don't give up for yourself. And my biggest piece of advice and wisdom is like fight for yourself every day because grief is beautiful but depression is not and there is a difference and like knowing the difference of I can grieve I can grieve in a beautiful way I can feel everything that I'm feeling there doesn't have to be a timeline to this but I also don't have to be depressed I can fight for me I can fight for the life that I have I can fight for the things that I can control and that's it's really challenging to get to that place and I definitely think that it does take time. Like when you first start grieving, I don't think you should immediately like pick yourself up and be like, okay, we're good to go. Like I think you give yourself space, you give yourself time, but you don't let yourself like stay where you are. And I think the people that, that loved us and the people that were grieving would want us to fight for ourselves. Obviously, like when I lost my dad, COVID hit right after. So like nobody was in jobs. You're sitting in the house all the time. Depression was at its all-time high. And I had just lost my dad. And then I had a baby two months later, right before the pandemic hit. And so I had all of the reasons why I should be depressed. Um, and I did for a long time. And I worried that I wouldn't come out of it. But I think something that really, really sparked something in me was my dad would not want this for me. Um, and I did have moments of anger of like, well, he's not here anymore. So it really doesn't matter what my dad would want for me. But I think when you finally like you fight for you, because that's what the people who love you would expect. They would want you to fight for you. That's how we love them well. That's how we keep loving them well. With the insight that you have now, I want to turn the attention over to TJ Davis's mom, Miss Shira Davis. This is her story. August 28th, that evening, well, that night, it was about 8, 8.30. Um, he told me, goodbye, mom, I'll see you later. I'm gonna go hang out. And I, I told him, I said, I really want you to be careful. He goes, oh, mom, you know. Um, three months before that, my mom passed away here at home on hospice. A lot of people don't know that. So that was hard for both of us. And then that morning, 3.30 in the morning, I got a knock on the door from the Ramsey County Sheriff's and the St. Paul Police Officer. They wanted to come in. I said, no. They said, we have to. So I knew something was wrong. I said, well, um... 
you know, one of those young men did something to my son. They're all they're all adults. See, they the police make it out to be their adolescents. They're 18 and up. And I said, well, so-and-so did something to my son. And the police officer said, well, you should be happy they gave the address to us. Hmm. So okay. they, they reported then, it to the police? Well, then they had a 911 call. I have that call. But that's the only thing that I have. I don't have any police reports. I don't have body. I don't have any of that. I just have the 911 call. Because I guess that's a separate agency, a separate. It's available to the public. I got that part of it. And um, the sheriff told me that they were stopping the search, that it was recovery. They didn't even give me hope. They said they were tired and they will resume later on in the morning. I got to the location. It's right off of Dayton Avenue and Mississippi Boulevard. Me and my niece went to there. We went to the location and started looking. The rescue team didn't come till 1030. They pulled him out at 1111 and he was not wearing the clothes he had on the night before. When I first met with the, the investigator, it took a good over a week, almost two weeks. My daughter was here out of town from Colorado and she told me that she was pregnant and the state fair was going. So their precinct was doing the state fair, the sheriff's, Ramsey County Sheriff. So basically they, what I got out of it was, well, you don't care because I kept hearing about your pregnancy in the state fair for a good week and a half because it was going on. The Minnesota State Fair was going on here. But so what, my son? God. None of them went to the precinct that morning. The one boy, he called his dad before 911. And the dad, the father, got to pick up all, all the rest of them young men and um, take them home go sleep they went there when I when I saw my son pulled out the river and I, I always had that vision his father was there his younger brother was there and my niece was there so we'll always have that but I knew right when I saw part of him being pulled out he didn't have his clothes on when I saw him in the night before yeah and he's very good about telling me he's going to be somewhere if he stays overnight. And if he doesn't stay overnight, he comes home. Was it clothes that he had owned before or was it just brand new clothes? This was just under, he had um, a t-shirt and some basketball shorts under his clothes, okay. under his skinny jeans. And he had a hoodie on. He didn't have the hoodie on. He didn't have the skinny jeans on. And the river didn't take that off. I reported the sheriff that came that morning and the officer to the FBI because they didn't, they, he told me he would let me identify my son and I didn't get to, I was there. I was right there. I saw you. I want to identify him. Mm-hmm. So they, they didn't even let, let you identify him at all. No, I had to wait until he went to the funeral home. Wow. That was like two and a half days. I called that evening Matter of fact, it wasn't even the evening. It was still in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. The um, medical examiner's office, he said, I had to wait until he went to the funeral home. And I said, I don't understand. I'm his mom. I want to identify his body. 
Oh, the sheriff did. Just to make sure that we were on the same page, TJ was swept in this fast-paced stream that unexpectedly happened in this tunnel. Uh, the four boys said that it was going around 45 miles an hour, and TJ just fell in and died. All four of the boys, minus TJ, got out safely and made calls to police. That is where they found his body and pulled it out of the tunnel. What's interesting is despite the four boys being in the back of a police car, none of them were questioned. When I first heard that, the first thing that came to my mind was, is that even legal? Because anytime that there's a dead body, wouldn't you think that it's police's duty to question someone? I feel like there have been countless times where an accident has happened and someone ended up dying and police still questioned everyone just to make sure that the stories still matched. There were a total of five boys. One of them ended up dead. I feel like police should question the other four. And it's not to say that they were arrested. It just means that police need to make sure that their stories all match and get the full idea and full picture of what happened. With my background, I have very little knowledge when it comes to the policies and law side of things, so I sat down with my friend Kaylee, who is currently a law student, and I simply asked her if this was legal or illegal to not question the four boys. Is it illegal to not question people whenever, like, a death happens? I don't know too much on criminal procedure yet. Mm -hmm. um, I did used to work with, like, law enforcement um, here, and, like, my family's working in our, like, entire life so just kind of from that standpoint is there's a policy about a lot of things and policy is usually supposed to be followed mm -hmm. and that's why it's there so I'm not gonna say it's not like illegal I will say it's very like shady especially if the in the event like foul play did um, happen and even if it was an accident people can still be charged off of accidents like when there's like you know they call it an extreme indifference for human life like that's still an accident mm -hmm. But it, you were so careless about something that there that there's criminal charges for it. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that wasn't the proper route to take. There should definitely be some kind of documentation about what happened that night, and especially like right off the bat, like because over time our memory starts to shift and stuff like that, and we'll leave out important details. But also like it's still a crime scene. Like mm -hmm. if there's a dead body, whether if it was a tragic accident or foul play, like you get witness statements, especially mm -hmm. if there were four other boys there that saw exactly what happened. I think it's important right then to talk to all of them and make sure nobody's story is changing, are their stories lining up, because after a certain amount of time, like, you can come up with a good story, you can come up with a good lie, yes. if they ask this, say this. So that's why, like, you're supposed to ask them immediately and stuff like that. Could this have all just been one big accident? Sure, but a few weeks ago, I spoke with Shira again, and we talked about her son's case. There, she revealed some new details that she learned since the last time we spoke last year, and it was alarming to say the least. My eyes had definitely been opened even wider than they were the last time we spoke. At this point, it shocks me that no arrests have been made. This is what she said. With the second autopsy, you know, they've noticed things, but they can't actually say that he was pushed. Right now, it's a freshwater drowning on his death certificate and the autopsies. But I believe something happened. They went down in that water tunnel in St. Paul. It's, it's between the Marshall Street Bridge from St. Paul to Minneapolis. And I think it's called the Helix Felix. It's like an urban tunnel. Huge, huge, because his father and his cousin went down there after 
two days after. His father is 6'5". Well, touching the ceiling, there was still there was still cobwebs on the ceiling. They said this tunnel filled up. It did not fill up. Another tidbit of information is TJ had a cigarette burn on his forehead. The, you mentioned the cigarette burn on his mm -hmm. head. Was that mm -hmm. something that happened prior to the incident, or do you believe nope. that it happened? Okay. Nope, he didn't have anything on his head when he left the house. Nope. Mm -hmm. And no police thought that that raised suspicion that no one would willingly do that to themselves? Nope. Newsflash, no one would willingly burn a cigarette on their forehead to leave a mark. At this point in the case, Shira is angry and understandably so. She has a right to ask questions. She has a right to be angry. Her son is gone. From what she has told me, the police have been anything but helpful. And if anything, they're making her feel as if she's losing her mind. Last year, when I first shared her story, her main goal was to view the body cam footage of police when they pulled TJ's body out of the tunnel. Every time she asked police for it, they just kept denying her left and right. No matter how many times she asked, they would not give it to her. Through an outside party, not the police, she found that the body cam footage didn't even exist. Like the body cam footage, I'm, right. I've seen that you've still not received that, like that's- Because there's none. Exactly. There is none. Oh, there is none. They're not required in St. Paul to have their body cams on. In Minneapolis, they are. Why is that? As you can tell in that clip, when I brought up the body cam footage, I had no idea it didn't even exist, so that was my genuine reaction in that moment. As you know, after I uploaded the first video regarding TJ's case last year, a few weeks later, Shira had messaged me claiming that his case was closed. Up until this point, it has been an endless battle of Shira to get justice for her son, TJ Davis. Once the sheriff took it, Ramsey County, it went to the Ramsey County District Attorney. They closed it. That was last year and in April. By June, we were protesting at the FBI. They told us since it wasn't racially, we can't prove that it was racially motivated, that you need to go to the BCA. So I went to the BCA thinking I'm losing my mind because that's what they made me feel like all this time that I'm losing my mind, that this was an accident. No, it wasn't. All four men were in the backseat of the St. Paul police car that night on August 29, 2021. And they did not go to the precinct like they should have. I need to find a lawyer or the district attorney's office needs to say, hey, okay, we really need to have real statements from these young men. And they did mark my son's body at 2.30 something in the morning. They put a marker and left him there until later on that morning. Found that out. That's, that's all facts. This is all facts. Great. So, because I do have some of the case files. I know that there's only so much we can do, but I wanted to try to provide her the best resources and give her information on what to do next. So I sat down with Kaylee and asked her two additional questions. The first one being, can a different county pick up TJ's case? If there was a way that a different county could get a hold of a case? Usually not, just because a lot of times like jurisdiction comes into it. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like if it's just a county that's kind of doing it, I would try to like go above them like as much as possible, you know, um, you know, like because like where we're from, like you could try to go to like TBI and stuff like that. Because a lot of times there are like people in those agencies that focus on when these like the 
don't want to say agencies under them, but you know, like lower level, like mm-hmm. county and state ones like that, that aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of times that's just getting like a lot of public attention on it. Cause mm-hmm. I know it's frustrating when you just feel like you can't get in with county people. Cause like I said, I mean, like we're from around the same area and like, I know exactly how the small town pol- like politics work and everything. And sometimes they kind of need like that fire under them to mm-hmm. be like, oh, this is getting a lot of attention we're gonna have to do something else mm-hmm. or you know maybe make some progress and sometimes it gets the eyes of the right people that are like hey like something shady's going on here mm-hmm. something illegal's going on so it'd be kind of hard i think to get like you know just another county or something like that just because it does come in like if they don't have any like i guess any dogs in that race is pretty good yeah. but it's like you can't step in mm-hmm. um but if it comes down to like you know somebody above that's like hey we have jurisdiction over this area and we have jurisdiction over something that you're not doing correctly Mm -hmm. um so i would just try to get like attention of those type of people the last question i asked kaylee was should shira get a lawyer because honestly at this point it seems the police aren't doing anything and every time the case gets into any form of motion it keeps getting caught up on insignificant stuff that causes it to be closed and we don't want that we want justice for tj davis this is what kaylee said i don't know if the lawyer would make police bring them into questioning but she mentioned about how that could i strongly agree with that attorneys are pillars for the people um and they are the front line between them and the government attorneys know the correct way to do things they know they know how to read policies better because there's the law like is such dense <laughs> like writing sometimes attorney will know kind of how to light that fire or at least how to intimidate them enough because it's like hey i know like you know there's this procedure like there's a criminal procedure i know that you're supposed to do this this and this you're not doing this or i can argue that you're not doing this and sometimes it's just the fear factor of it unfortunately like attorneys do get a bad name a lot of times because they are cutthroat and that's kind of like what we're told to be though mm-hmm. and you know all my professors are like hey like you gotta gotta be you gotta ask these questions that nobody wants to ask you mm-hmm. gotta be intense about it and you have to know the correct procedure about things because that's how so many cases are won or how you get the ball rolling is just knowing these basic procedure things that most people aren't going to know. So I think that's a great idea. In terms of steps for her to get a lawyer, what steps would she need to take? Just a lot of research, especially trying to look into attorneys that do focus on that type of work because I noticed this a lot when I did work in family law still is while attorneys are trained in everything, people have like specific things that they work towards. So, you know, I like want to go into criminal law, so I'm probably not the person you want to call for taxes or stuff like yeah. that. Because <laughs> if it's me, you're probably gonna go to jail, unfortunately, <laughs> because I don't know, like I don't know any tax law stuff. So I wouldn't just hire like any attorney like off the street, no matter even if they are cheap. Do you have any um, advice for Shira when it comes to her son's case? I know it's gonna sound cliche, but just like, don't give up. Like it's, the law can feel like such a dead end sometimes and that's ultimately like what got me into laws because you know when I first graduated from my undergrad I knew I wanted to go to grad school and I looked at law school but to me I was like oh people like me don't go to law school like where I'm from um like I'm just lucky that I didn't end up with a degree like I'm a first generation like student in, in general so it just felt like so out of reach and then finally I just got like so mad at a case that I was working that I didn't understand where the um, DAs were coming from on the case. I was getting frustrated with the defendants like attorney 
and I just felt so frustrated because, you know, I'm in, I was in child welfare and I was working with these kids that had been in like the worst situations ever. And I felt like I was hitting roadblock after roadblock. I was just getting so frustrated that I was like, you know what? I'm going to come in here. I'm going to learn everything that these people have learned. Mm -hmm. I want to know why they're making this decision, why they don't care about people's lives, why they are just perfectly fine with taking the easy way out and everything like that. So you got to stay angry. Like, mm -hmm. I know that anger is like so hard on you and everything, but especially when you want to give up and that grief and this sadness and overwhelming feeling is taking over like you just have to stay angry and realize that if you give up that they win well i'm a different person for one thing when i lost my mom when you lose your parents and they're old it's a circle of life but when you lose a child just you know out of the blue um it changes you as a person. So now you're having to relearn who you who you are now as a changed person, not who you were before who you are now. Um, it's been a struggle. I don't feel like sometimes I have grief because I've been fighting from day one to know what happened. So that morning, that grieving, <clears throat> Sometimes I just feel like I haven't had that chance because I have to keep fighting. I didn't work for nine months. I couldn't. You know, them hard days, you got to give yourself grace. And that's a learning process, giving yourself grace. In the conclusion of this video, I want to express my utmost gratitude for Shira speaking with me today regarding her son's case. Every time somebody tells a story, they have to relive that story moment by moment, and I know that is not easy for your mental health. I want to encourage Shira to keep the fire lit under her and stay angry. It's hard to stay angry, but it's needed. To the four boys that were with TJ right before he passed away, I want to say this. You have information that we need to hear. I have not been shy about my personal opinion regarding TJ's case and my thoughts when it comes to the possibility of foul play, but what I want to say is, is if there wasn't foul play and it was just one accident, you need to come forward and share your story. The time is now. We need the truth. Until then, justice for TJ Davis. If you would like to get involved in this case or show some support for Shira, I have linked all of the necessary links in the video description. Thank you so much for giving me a platform that I am able to speak with people and raise awareness on missing persons cases like last week with 21-year-old Layla Santanello and 19-year-old Holland Snap, and also cases that are unsolved like TJ's case. We don't know the full truth and we don't know the full story. So because of this platform you guys have given me, I'm able to talk about these things. Without further ado, next Friday there will not be a podcast episode as I will be taking a mental health week to just kind of end out the year. I will see you guys next, next Friday. Stay safe.